Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week it'll be Hashkafashir on dating and Shadduchim. We're going to be talking about what should you be looking for in a Shadduch? What are some red flags that should give you notice? What do you talk about on a date so that you can get to know the other person? How important is attraction? What about love? Is love important? How do you know if he or she is the right one? When I talk about attraction and love, I can't help but remember the story. Rev. Eli Baruch Finkel, now you know, everybody in the world uses his forum. He once told me a story. He said he was read a shidduch by Rav Shach. And he met the girl, and it wasn't his liking. So Rav Shach said, no, no, like, what's the problem? So he told Rav Shach, kin meshicha. It was like, no. So Rav Shach looks at him and he says, it says by Yitzchak, it says, Vayava Yitzchak as Rivka Hela, Vayavea. He said, first you, you marry, and then comes, you know, Meshicha Hava. Srebella Baruch looked at Rashach and he said, he said it in Yiddish, I'll say it in English. He said, Who says I want to get married like Yitzchakin? Efshevilachasinahabin, Vi Yankivin. What does it say by Yankiv? Yankiv says, Vayahav Yakiv is Rachel, Vayomer. I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel. Whatever, sort of shach left. But these are going to be some of the questions, and we're bringing in experts who otherwise maybe you wouldn't be able to reach. We have Rabbi Jack Cohn. He has 500 lectures on Torah anytime, 500, just on the topic of Shaduchim. And we asked him, you know, give us some advice. Really wonderful. What are some of the questions? What are the most common questions people ask you? From Tom's River, we have Mrs. Bella Beer. She's a Shaduch coach. And uh, marriage as well, but people who are dating and they have issues, she's going to talk about the most common questions, issues, struggles that people have when they're dating. We're going to go to Eretz Yisrael to speak to Rabbi Zachariah Greenwald. He's from Maor. He said he, said he has over 2,000 girls he's taught and hundreds and hundreds of boys. While I was talking to him, the phone didn't stop ringing. He says, all I get all day is calls about Shaduchim. So if you are dating and you said, how do I get to speak to some real experts? Well, we reached out to people that would otherwise be pretty hard to get a hold of to get you know, their advice and their insight. And I hope you find this to be, this Hashkafish here to be a real public service. Last week on the riddles, we asked five riddles on Hanukkah. We got well over a hundred responses. We chose 21 winners. I don't think any of them got it all right, but they got it mostly right. We got Reb Abba Walk. Well, really, a lot of big Talmudic Hachamim, a lot of them are posted online. Kalman Goldberg, Rabbi Leo Frankel, Rabbi Simcha Rosenblatt, Shalom Parnas, David Zemel, Yitzchak Klugman, Moshe Marcus, Usher Brenner, Shol Greenfield, Shlomi Berlin, Gavriel Savit, Gavriel Chesky, uh, uh, Shmuel Absfeld, Naftali Dembitza, Avi Roth, David Svi Halevi Glick, David Birenbaum, Daniel Handwerger, Srili Modis, Abraham Goldberger. There were probably more of you who had wonderful Tarotsim, but we tried to get those who got three out of five, four out of five, five out of five. I don't think anybody got five out of five. But um, at the end of this program, I will give over, you know, I'll say over the questions, I'll say over what some of the answers were and what I believe to be the correct answers, two or three of which uh, I don't think, you know, most of you wouldn't, uh, didn't mention. I think you'll find them interesting. I have a, a vart on the parsha. We've spoken about it, but every time there's a chiddush, Yosef seems to be always happy. In fact, it says the pasuk says, "Vayehi Yosef ish So the targum, not the targum, the, the medrash rabba 
says ish kafuz. And if you look in the Pirushim, the Matnas Kuhn, etc., he was tzohal v'sameach. He was always a happy person. He was, and, and I think the pshat is, you know, happy people are usually successful. If a person is depressed and sabrachin and saklucked and sahakt, such a person's going to be successful. Maybe that's pshat in the Medrash. I don't know. But that's how the Medrash teaches. And I'll give you another proof. There are many riots that Yosef was a happy person. It says Lamashal, they throw him into the dungeon there by Paitifa, right? The Eftashish Paitifa. And it says one day, he says, he put, makes him the head of the, uh, again, he was made Matzliach, the head of the, uh, the dungeon. It says one day, he sees the Saramashkim and the Saraifim, and he says, they look upset. And he says, I see your countenance today. It's different than it was yesterday. I ask you, did you ever see somebody who's depressed? They're in bed. They have a pillow over their head or their blankets over their head or they have headphones on. Again, you know, do these people, are they like so aware and alert that they're looking at other people? Oh, I see your countenance today is a little bit changed. Yosef was on the top of his game. So here's my question. Yosef was the prince. He was the chosen son. He's thrown into a pit. He sold three times, according to Rashi. Then he ends up by Paitifera as a slave, from princehood to slavery. Then he gets uh, framed. Then he goes into a, 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 a prison again for, for a dozen years, right? And he's always happy. Like, explain that to me. Was he not a weir? Yosef. Yosef Hatzah. How did he always stay happy? I mean, the simplistic answer is he had a lot of amuna and Batachin, but I want to go beyond that. So I want to share with you, this is from the Yunim Chadashim from Libowitz. It says it well, but Vart, it's almost a parish apostolic. What does he tell his brothers? Ani Yosef Achichem, when he presents himself, I am Yosef, your brother. You sold me. Now, don't be upset. Don't get that you sold me. Why? So now it changes from Mechira to Shlachani. And then he says again, He changes a word from Mechira, sold, to sent. What does that mean? If you're sold, that means, or a slave, that means you're an object. You're a pound. You're a piece of flesh. You're a box. Your chairs get sold. Sent. To be a shliach, you need das. Shlichus means there's, there's, there's an agreement here. There's a mission here. Shlichus is a mission, right? I wasn't sold. I wasn't sold down the river. I was sent on a mission. And you know what that means? It has like a tremendous difference. I've said before, now we had here a neighbor. He came for a number of months for some personal reason. He had to be with his family here and by us. The shliach from Verajan. And this is a Chabad shliach. A shliach he was sent. He's telling me what's life like in Verajan. For years, they didn't have running water here today. I mean, this is, Verajan is seven hours from Moscow. It's by Drukar. It's like Mamish in, in the Gulag, right? In, in, <laughs> I call it Oilam Atayu, right? He, he said that no staples. I mean, the closest kosher supermarket is eight hours away by car. It's not like, you know, you go to, to ShopRite, to uh, Wesley Kosher, face whoever, you know, you're uh, bingo, eight hours away, right? If, if you want mandolin and luxion in your soup, it's because your wife made them. If you want fresh bread, it's because she made it. 
Nobody drives eight hours, right? Many people cook on coal. There's dirt roads. The people in Varazhin make $10 a day. And these are the mispalim. And I'm listening to this, and I just looked at him, and I said, if I was sent there, like, I don't know, after two weeks, you know, they, they, you know, I'd be just swallowing bottles of Prozac. <laughs> like, how do you survive there? And he looks at me, he says, survive? What do you mean survive? I was sent here. This is my shlichus. He says, do you know how many souls you could save over here? Do you know how many souls I've saved over here? Actually, this Shabbos, there's a girl that he mamish brought from Afela Lairo, staying by El Shabbos, from, from he introduced, and she's coming to us this Shabbos. He was, but he says, I wasn't sent. This wasn't like some punishment. This, I was sent here. There could be no bigger honor. I, I bought for me and my wife. We bought Kvarim over here. This young fellow says to me. That's the difference, the power of being sold or being sent. Don't be upset. For great reasons, for great, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save, I was sent here for a real purpose. Now, why is this relevant to me and to you? We believe, the Mishnah says in Echadinim Amunis, everybody is chayiv kal adam loimer, chayiv. Bishvili nivra ilam. Why are you chayiv to say that? It's a nice thing to say, but chayiv means it's, it's essential. It's part of your makeup. It's telling you, you are one of a kind, and you have a mission. You, bishvili, if I was, the world was created for me to do something on this world, right? You know, like the tzaddikim say, the day you were created, that's how they teach this Mishnah, is the day the Rabbani Shalom said, there's something in the world that only you can fix. Right? Every one of us, so what does that mean? Each one of us has a shlichus. And we're given in the shlichus everything that we need to be successful. In Rabbeinu B'chayin, he says in the Pasuk Vasisa Micah, he says, before a person is sent down to this world, he says, Kol kulam nivru The Rabbani Shalom takes you and he says, listen, here's your mission. If you want it, we don't force people on missions. These are volunteer missions. It's yours. And if you don't, you don't have to do it. The Hakadosh Baruch Hu Hoidiyam Bereshis Kolonyonim. He tells you everything that the mission is about. So if you have your mission, maybe your secret mission that only you know. Yeah, maybe the gun is old. Maybe the piece of equipment is old. I don't know. Maybe it's behind the lines. But you know it's a mission, and you accepted it, and it's fabulous and exciting. So when we in life we feel like we've been sold, like maybe. It's my mental health. That means my mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, moodiness. I was sold. I got a bed. Well, you know what? It's behind the lens. You got the vehicle with the dings and the things. Or maybe it's your family. You were sold with the wrong family. Maybe you were sold with the wrong chinuch. You didn't get into that good yeshiva you wanted to. Maybe you were sold through love. It could be your schooling. It could be friends. That's one way to look at it. I was sold. Another way to look at it is for Shlachani Hashem Lefanechem Lachyeslachem Lefleita Gedayla. Maybe I wasn't sold. You have a mission. Kol Adam Chayiv Leimer. Recognize your mission. Bishvili Nivraelam. And is it possible that if it's our mission, all those scrapes and burns and cuts and nooks and nicks 
maybe when we see it as part of our mission, we embrace it and we say, wow, this is really an interesting mission, but I was given what I need to, all the tools I need to complete my mission, and I will. So why was Yosef so happy? Why wouldn't he be happy? He had a mission, and everything that happened was important to accomplish his mission. And maybe I can learn something from that. Let's go to our riddles of the week. What does Rashi say? But all the money that he made in Padan Aram, he gave to Esav to buy his plot in the Maras Hamachpela. Asher Karisi, right? That's what Rashi says. See, they bought it from Esav. Problem is, the Gemara in Baba Basra, of Kuf Ahmed Beis, and the Shulchan Aruch Yeredeya, Shin Samachvav, Aleph, and in Chesh Mishbet, Reish Yud Zayin Zayin Paskin, that if somebody's Moicher Kivrei, Boin B'nei Mishpacha V'koivrnoi Se Balkar Cheshalekeach, they could demand, say, look, we're giving you back the money, we want to have the plot back, it's a gnai for us that our father shouldn't be buried over there. So the question is, Ma'ha Yol Yaakov? With the Mechira that Esav sold in the Chelik Maras HaMachpela, L'Halacha, they could force Esav's Yarshim, could force them to give them back the Kever to uh, to bury Esav there. Basit Ufgitan, L'Halacha. That's what our first uh, riddle is. The second riddle, it says, V'yizbach zvachim l'lekei aviv Yitzchak. So what does Rashi say? Chayiv adam b'chaved aviv, yoyser mikaved ziknai, l'fichach tala b'yitzchak v'loi b'avram. He says, Zvadar is a chayiv kibbed av to the grandfather, but more to Yitzchak, and that's why he's, he was zoveach l'lekei aviv Yitzchak, and it's a medrash here and on the spot. Now to Shulchan Aruch in Reish Mem, Sivkatan Chavdalad, a person is chayiv b'chaved avi aviv, but Kaved Aviv Kaidim, he brings two opinions. Marik argues, he always knows, no, didn't covet for a grandfather. Okay? So Marik says, like Rashi over here. Now here's the problem. Rashi in Makis, Tafyud Bezamar Aleph, Divriya Maschal Hachigarsinan, says that let's say somebody killed Rahman Olatzvan, somebody killed his son, Bishaygeg. And the son who was killed had a son. So that son could become a Goyal Hadam to the grandfather. He's what we'd be, be allowed to go and kill the grandfather, Al Tagayal Adam. So here's the question. If the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that there's a chi of Kibud Av to a grandfather, and Rashi says that by us, how could Rashi possibly learn that there's a din of Goyal Adam on the grandfather? How could you be a Goyal Adam if there's a chi of Kibud Av to him? So Lechaira would be a stira in the two Rashis. That is the question of the Gilean Marsha. That is uh, our second riddle. And for those who want one more, a third one, what does it say? I'll ask you. It says, He says, Come, they didn't believe it was him, and he showed them the Mila. The problem is, the Rambam in Perak Yud from Hilchas Malachim Malachas says that the Bnei Ketura, and by the way, the Muslim world, you could Google this, circumcises, because the Bnei Ketura do Mila. He says, What's the Chiddush that he was a mole? There was, there's, there's millions of B'nai Ketura. He was one of them. So of course he was a mole. So what is the, uh, what is the raya that he wants to show them that he had a bris mule and therefore he's Jewish? Those are our three riddles. If you, uh, win the riddles, we will send you a prize just as we will send a gift card to all of those who won this week.
to leave a message, call 732-806-8700 and press number two, or email at info at headlinesbook.com. And now let's go to our guests. Joining us from Flatbush is Rabbi Dr. Jack Cohn, has just the most amazing resume. He's a member of the Syrian community. He was born in Cairo, and his father learned in Cairo by Rabbi Vadya, Zecharim Lavracha, while he was the Rava Rashi of Cairo. Then Rabbi Cohn came to, as a Bacha, learned by Rabbi Vigda Miller for many years. He was 14 years in Chaim Berlin and BMG. Then he became an orthopedic surgeon. He worked half a day, he learned half a day. Who's a Magachir and Eshatpur, Eshatayr, or Samech? He has 500 classes on dating on Torah anytime. So he is sort of the expert on dating. Welcome, Rabbi Kohn. Pleasure to be with you, Rabbi David. So tell us, what are the questions? Give us three of the questions that people struggle with that they have to come for advice for, that they just can't seem to figure out on their own. What would those be? That's a great question. <laughs> okay, I'll start with number one. Number one is the. The most important question is, what should I be looking for, Dr. Jack? They said, what kind of a guy should I be looking for? What kind of a girl? What, what kind of person would be the right partner for me in my life? You know what's going on? Western culture is confusing so many of us. We have a device in our hand, and we're misled by Western culture into superficial thinking. So oftentimes, I sit with people, and I'll show them resumes, because I also like to match them up, and they just rifle off. Not my look, not my look, not what I'm wanting. People are totally disoriented today when it comes to searching for the stuff. They don't know. They have no clue. So what I do is I sit down. I've created the concept called the top 10 list. It's actually what's called the top 10 needs list. I get them to ask, to answer a lot of questions about themselves, and then I can figure out what they need in a partner that would make them happy. But happen, well, sometimes what happens is people confuse needs, Rabdavid, with wants. Wants are superficial, like rich, tall, handsome, has money, has a couple of apartments. Needs are what make people happy, such as intelligent, generous, compassionate, emotionally stable, has a panosa past. Once we've created a top 10 needs list, I'll tell them, just find me a person that you're dating that has 6 out of 10. And then I have two non-negotiables off to the side of it. You should be physically attracted. doesn't mean they have to be a cover model physically attracted to them, and they should have a degree of Yerushimai. They're not making fun of other Jews. They're comfortable with themselves. They're not gossipers and Lashon Hara. If you can give me that 6 out of 10 and you're physically attracted, in 25 years, it almost has never failed me. So that's one of the questions they'll ask me. How do I know what to look for? Who's my, who's my partner? So I give them a strategy. I give them a derech. Here's a, here's a formula you can put to use. So, again, so what are the so what are the, the ikram, the needs? What did you say again? Let me just write them down. What are they? Generous, compassionate, loyal, respectful, uh, no anger tantrums, especially for the girls. For the girls, I tell them three things that I taught my daughters are all married, Baruch Hashem. Ka'as, Kaptan, and Kamsan. Those are the three Ks you watch out for. Does the guy have an anger problem? Does, is the guy inflexible? And is he cheap? These are three Gehenims you don't want to live with. Yeah. Wow, through the three Ks, Kass, do you have anger issues? Yeah. Kaptan, is he rigid? Is he just my way or the highway? Kaptan, is he stingy? Stay away, right. from these, 
stay away from these three things and you're okay. Right, exactly. Right. Can you, can you, Other I mean, can anybody be happy if they marry some, I mean, because there are people who have cars, Captain and Compton, should they never marry? I'm just curious. No, it has to be managed. Every one of us has some degree of that in life. Every one of us gets angry. But is the, is the person consistently falling to that? Okay, so for the so, girls, you say stay away from cough, kaptan, and kaptan. Wouldn't you say the boys the same thing? I mean, a girl who has a temper issue, a girl who's inflexible, or a girl who's cheap? More than likely. For a girl, I would, I would look for more things like chesed. Chesed is a big one by me. She's, she, she's warm, she's kind, good needles. A person, we don't have to look very far above it. The first shidduch in the history of the world. Eliezer looked for chesed. Gemilus chesed. He wasn't looking for a PhD degree. He was looking for someone who was going to do chesed. Even though that person would ultimately be uh, an individual who is going to play a critical role in helping the guy or the, the, the population of the world. Well, I would just make the argument that somebody who's chesed, kabbatzan, stingy people, are not giving of themselves. So they're not a kabbatzan. Right. And usually not a kabbatzan because you can't be my way or the highway if, you're, again, you're, you're breaking boundaries to give. Kabbatzan is the person who's just rigid and stuck in his boundaries. So the only one the Baal Chesed could be is Kas, but usually Kas is more shy of Tadin than it is to Chesed. So you would think that just, just somebody who is generous and very giving, you're already avoiding most of Kas, Kaptan, and Kamtan, no? Good point, Rizdov. I like it. Nice okay. spin. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Got a chair for you waiting. Anytime you want to co-host with me. Okay. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So, so let's continue here. So, um, so, you, so you spoke about weight. So you spoke about the, the main things you should be looking for, generous, calm, loyal, respectful. You said you're Ashamayim, and then right. you spoke about the things stay away from. Kas, Kaptan, Kamsan. Very clear. So what's the next question? That's what you should be looking for, too. Question two. What do you get? The biggest question, another big one is conversation. What do I talk about on a date? It's amazing. People are clueless. Even tonight, I did a webinar with people. And asking me questions. Well, if it's going to go, question, answer, question, answer, seems more like an interview. So one of the things that I do is I teach them how to talk. <laughs> I have dry runs with them. I, I act as the boy or the girl to show them how to get through the, the conversation. It starts very broad, date one, date two. It's more family and friends and career goals and where you live and what are your fun interests and hobbies and recreation and have you been terribly strong? You teach them. How to, how to narrow it down and get more specific. Anytime I hear a comment like, I've gone out 10, 12 times and I'm just not feeling it, more than likely they haven't delved very deeply in their communication. And they've been afraid to expose their vulnerability. And that's a problem. Because in order to be able to make it with someone, even though they, they, they are to a certain extent a stranger to you, but if you don't open a window to your soul to them, they're never going to get hit that magic bullet and say, aha, I get it. That's an aha moment for me. You're the person who understands me. You get me. You, you, you can be there for me. You'll help. So, which, so when I said, I, what's the question you, that you get that this is the response? The question is, what do I talk about on a date? I need is that help really, is that really what, like, one of the most common questions, what to talk about? How interesting. Yeah, absolutely. You have no idea. I was with Ari Lichtenstein. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you a story. Last year on a, on, on a show. And Ari... And it, oh, listen, and it was about broken engagement. So one of the girls who was listening in came in to see me as a private client, and I asked her lots of questions and lots of questions. She put together a PDF of 100 questions for dating. I kid you not, it has been requested close to 6,000 6, times in the last year. That's how often, how many people wanted it. 
Anytime I cite it about a PDF, that I have a PDF that I put together on dating questions, doc, I want it. What's happening? Email it to me. You can't believe how many times I've been asked to, to forward this document. But what type of questions? Excellent. Okay, you ready? Here we yeah. go. <laughs> questions like, what are some of the things about yourself that you're proud of? What does it mean to be, for you to be Jewish in 2021? What are your goals in life? What would you like to accomplish in the next five years? What makes you happy in life? How have you grown or changed in the past five years? What are you currently doing to maintain your Yiddishkeit, your spiritual growth? What's the challenge you faced in life? How have you dealt with it? Who are your friends and how long do you know them for? What career field have you decided to enter? What made you choose that? Do you enjoy your job? Do you enjoy where you live? What school do you attend? Do you daven in a minion? What's your best quality? How do you deal with an adverse challenge in your life? Do you find yourself getting angry often? When you're feeling down, what do you do to raise yourself up? If you're going through a difficult situation, who do you turn to for advice? This is critical because that tells them if you have a mentor, you have a Rebbe. To me, that's critical that a guy should have a Rebbe. Girls, I tell all the time, make sure that the guy has someone that he can look to for questions or guidance. Rebbe Benelli should tell us that a new couple should have a Rebbe, at least a dating or shalom bias mentor for at least 36 months post-marriage. Because when things come up, there'll be someone to run to. I'll, I'll give you an example. A girl comes to me from the five towns. And she's married five months, and she was going out. She has dated a guy who was in the mirror. She was, he was used to three hours done. He came back, and he was learning start. But that went to two hours, to an hour and a half, to an hour, to a half an hour, to the point where he was davening in the bedroom, in a sense. She thought she would, I would tell her to get divorced. So I said to her, where do you live? She tells me the five towns. I said, go talk to his Rebbe. She says, okay, I'll do that. He saved the marriage. So important to have a Rebbe in the life. Um, do you enjoy Kiruv? How would you like your Shabbos table in the future? Would you like to have guests? Would you not like to have guests? When you're starting to ask questions like this, you're getting, you're probing down to the kishkas of individuals. You, you get to understand what makes them tick, Rabbi Duffy. And that's important. So being a, uh, being able to ask solid, good questions will help navigate your path tremendously. And, and that's the makings, that's the artillery, the assembly of a great relationship, of great dating. And questions are good because a lot of boys and girls are, if they're coming from, you know, from the houses, have not had exposure to, you know, the other gender, and they're mm -hmm. nervous and they're scared. But when you ask a question, the intellectual part of every one of these kids just clicks right in. Because all these kids are students, they're all yeshiva boys and they're basically girls, and throw them an intellectual thing and they're on it like a, a beat to hunt. Yeah, they right? love it. They so, eat it up. You know how, so, you know how so many the, of them tell me that, go ahead, you go. No, so, so the question just yeah. breaks the, you know, the ice of the, you yeah. know, the, the, the clumsiness of how to deal with what's a totally new situation. Exactly. A lot of girls in seminary watch my stuff before coming home to America and guys in the mirror. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? I just helped. It just shows you that what I teach is so universal. Monday <laughs> night I went to a vort of a Sotmer boy, 24 years old, who landed by me in uh, February, and he was a broken soul, David. He had been thrown out of high school twice, and he roamed the streets of Borough Park. Hashem, he got a nice job running the counter of a major lumber supply for Hasidic Shagai, and he started putting out a, web, uh, a, day, uh, a WhatsApp chat of Divrei Torah to his buddies. And I said to him, when the right time comes, it's going to happen. And he calls me four, four weeks ago to stop preparing him for the Bishos. I prepared him for the Bishos. He did five of them. He got married. He got engaged. Boom. And the following night was a Syrian girl who had some issues dating off the derech. Guys, whatever, out of our, uh, not in our religion. And I worked with her a little bit. Baruch Hashem, she married someone who's related to the former chief rabbi of Syria. So it works. <laughs>
<laughs> it works, thank God. That's fabulous. Give me another question that people struggle with. That Here's a great question. How do I know if the person that I'm dating is the right one for me? That's another one that I get a lot of. And for that, I've created a formula called the pair formula. P as in Peter, A as in Apple, I as in Irving, and R as in Robert. And I'll explain it. P, physical attraction. Are you physically attracted to the person? That's important. And not infatuated, attracted. And so physical attraction, I explain, is not something that has to happen right away. It could take over five, six days. But communication helps build physical attraction. A is three things. Admiration. Is there something in the individual that you're dating that you look up to? A quality that you've not seen in anyone else that you admire. He's a stark learner. She's very dependable. She's very reliable. He's trustworthy. He's responsible. He's confident. Something that really appeals to you. That's admiration. Also, acceptance. Can you accept him or her for who they are, knowing that no human being in the world is perfect? We all have faults and we're fallible in some extent. Can you get beyond an issue that they had in adolescence or medical complications, something like that? And last thing is affection. Do you feel the degree of affection for that person? Are you happy to be with them? Do you feel a genuine friendship? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Very kind. Go slowly. So the first one was physical attraction, right? Right. And what was the second one? A, admiration. You admire something in that person, a quality that you do not see in someone else. And also A is uh, acceptance. Can you accept them for who they are, even though they may have something in their background or history? They're not exactly positive because knowing no one is perfect. Okay. And affection. Do you feel a sense of closeness? Do you enjoy being with them? So physical attraction is one. Two is admiration. But you think this person is, wow, this is somebody, you know, you could be proud of. Um, Right. um, Acceptance. I think acceptance is very important. In other words, it's not like I love you now change. It's like I, I, I... the way you are, I can live the way you are without you changing, without me molding you into my dream of what you should be. Exactly. Terrific. Beautiful. Okay. And affection means, do I, do I like the person? Because you could admire somebody, you could accept them, you could be attracted and not like them. Do you like them? Right. Exactly. Now here's my question to you, you know. Rabbi Cohn, I, I, I just got back from... Brisk, Mir, Besiakov, name it. I'm good looking. I have a good family. And, and I don't want to settle. And there's probably a lot of boys who, or girls who are a physical attraction. I would admire them, accept affection. But there could be somebody much better out there. And I'm really scared that I only have one chance and I'm going to be married to this person for the next 75 years. And I don't want to say, shucks, I settled for the person who was an aid on attraction and an aid on admiration and an aid on acceptance and an affection when I could have gotten a 10 with all my mylas. So what are you asking me? What should that, I tell that person? Yeah, what are you, how do you respond to that? I say to them, when you're with them, how do you feel? Do they understand you? Do they get you? Do you feel special around them? Do they make you feel good? Do you enjoy being with that person? Do you look forward to being with that person? Would you like to be 30 years old or 35 years old and think I blew it? I had a chance and I let it get away because I was never happy? Yeah, but, but Rabbi Cohn, um, um, yeah. that's one way to look at it. But the other way yeah. to look at it is, you know, you, know, you, could, you could go to the amusement park on Halamaid. 
right. and say, I had such a good time, but my friends went to Great Adventure. The rides were six times the size. All the, the mortgage market people were there. I would have had a much better time in Great Adventure. And that happened to me in Chalamite this year. And how do I know that I'm not marrying the person from the small amusement park when I really could have married the person from Great Adventure? I think you've fallen prey to societal, uh, you know, Yitzhahara uh, in that in that in a situation like that because you have to you get a sense of when you're with that person they meet your needs and you're comfortable and you have a sense of satisfaction being with them. Of course, I can always get better. There's no end to that. There's no end to that thinking. But it's a it's a her that could drive you down a slippery slope. Okay. Um, I, you know, it's, it's somebody else who I spoke to said it a little differently that I thought was good. They said, are you the type of person that every time you buy a suit, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I could buy even a better suit? Or are you happy good with one. what you have? Right? Is the car you drive, oh, I could have bought a better car, and I could have had a better house, and I could buy a better pen. There's always something higher rated. If you go on Amazon, there's something you could find. Somebody has more stars. Or I mean, is that is that how we want to live our lives, always looking over our shoulder? What could I possibly do that would be better? It's a difficult way to live your life, no? You're never, you're never going to have anything exhausting to me. It's yeah. terribly exhausting. You're always thinking you could have done better and better and better. There's no quality of life. So, Rabbi Cohn, give us a fourth question that you get a lot of that is, you know, that people struggle with. I'm going out with a young man or a young woman and my parents don't approve. What do I do now? And does that happen a lot? Do you hear that? To some, to some extent, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what don't they like? Do they say, you know, he has a bad temper and you don't see it? Do they say, um, it's, he's not hush of it? Like, what is it that they don't like about the boy? Because I think that matters in how you respond, doesn't it? Yes. Social status. That, okay. So how yeah. do you respond yeah. when they say, listen, you know, I went out with a boy and my parents found out that they thought they were balabatish, whatever that means, and they really, they're, they're schleppers. By the way, I, when I dated my father, who I always like to say was a very rich man, a really rich man, but he had no money. And, <laughs> and I kid yeah. you not, I, and I got no's, and I, I remember once somebody told me that, you know, they said they don't want to go out with schleppers. Okay, so you're going out, you like the boy, uh-huh. or you like the girl, and um, then your parents come back and say, oh my goodness, this is terrible. It's just, this is going to be very embarrassing for the family. What do you do? A kiss like that? Yeah. You have to analyze, you have to ask them, do you enjoy their company? Do you see great needles in the individual? She really likes, so he really likes the other side. But now the parents have become an issue. Your question. Oh, okay. Here, I'll get, I have a case like that. Listen to this. Top shliach in Chabad, son, is dating the girl of a shliach, daughter of a shliach in, uh, in, in Florida. They were dating under the radar. And the parents were not so happy about it. The boy's parents, they got the older brother to call me. And this happened just most recently. And asked me what my thoughts were. And I said, let me talk to the boy. And the boy really liked her. Great values. There was word out on the street that she was anorexic. And also they weren't happy about the, the fact that the, um, the, was like the, divorce, the divorce was a little messy on the girl's mother's side. Anyway, when I got to know the guy, he was a wonderful boy and then I said I want to meet the girl the girl wasn't anorexic I did my my due diligence she was becoming a nurse she was cooking all the food for the all the guests that the father's bringing me home I sat down with the parents in a zoom cross country and said I have checked this girl out she has amazing amigos she's great she's going to make your son very very happy 
and it should go forward. Baruch Hashem, they, they approved of it. I think push come to shove. If the quality is there, but they, they don't like the social status, tough luck. Well, well wait, so, so let's talk about that because I think this is something that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. They go out. Usually they they never go out because of social status, but they went out and now there's yeah. a social status yeah. issue, and the parents right. are really unhappy. They say, look, this. This girl or this boy, it's going to bring our status down. You know, we wanted a hush of a shidduch. We should be so proud. We want it to be in the pictures, in the ated, or wherever it is, where they're dancing by our wedding. And they say, it's the so-and-so and so-and-so chasana. In vehagefen, ve'in vehagefen. This is like right. a disaster for us. And, the and, you, my, and you, are yeah. a disappo- you are going to disappoint us very, very badly. It's going to just be very disappointing wedding. They're never going to be able to pay for the type of wedding that we expect. <laughs> and our friends are going to be, we're going to be embarrassed from our friends. We're going to be shamed if you do this, Shidduch. So the answer is, you're not marrying them, I am. <laughs> and I'm happy with her. And if you can't can point out any problems in Chisrinus of Nidos, then there's nothing, there's no problem, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but you know, Tyra, you're going to come to Shabbos, Right. And he's going to learn in Kolil, or you're going to be whatever it is, and you're going to need us. And we're not happy campers about this. And it's not going to be comfortable when you come home for Shabbos. I mean, you have, you have shamed us. Do you know how hard me and your mother work on our reputation? Do you know how important it is for us? Do you know how much money your mother spent on your clothing so that we should, people should look at us and look up to us, and you are embarrassing us? I know you want to do, you're very headstrong, but it's going to be very hurtful when you come and, you know, there's not going to be acceptance. And don't tell me this doesn't happen, Rabbi Cohen. Happens in, 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 in some instances, they cave in and they can't handle the pressure, of course. And in other instances, the person can look beyond those arguments and, and, and valiant enough to go forward. Wait, wait, so wait, but, but I'm asking you a question. Yeah. Would you advise the girl or the boy to go forward in this case? Absolutely. You know why? Because I never held social status as a requirement to any of my girls. I understand that, but, but it, we're not dealing with your reality. It's the, their reality, and their reality is their parents think it's very important, and you just threw a little bomblet into the house. So it's not, it's not my values or your values that are important. It's what this boy or girl is going to have to deal with when they go home. Yes, but that's when they visit. The rest of the time, they're living with that person 90% of their life. You're right. I get, I get it, but... They're not living for the crowd. They're living for their own joy and happiness in life. I mean, the Shulchanar certainly agrees with you, right? Same yeah. as my Rick, that you marry who you want. There's no kibbutz aim and that, etc. That's right. But you would advise a boy and a girl to go forward, notwithstanding the parents' um, just total... Uh, Believe me, Rev. David, I had, had the same issue in my life, being a newly minted MD and my father having expectations. And I married a certain type of girl... We didn't so-called come from what he was looking for. And I pressed forward in my life because I saw wonderful Midos and Baruch Hashem, 32 years, fantastic. So it happens. You're right. But if you see quality and you can unearth it and it shines, go for it. Rabbi Cohn, thank you very much. And I hope our listeners will be tuning in to your 500 dating uh, shiurim on Torah anytime. Thank you for your time. Rabbi David, it was an honor to be with you. Love, love speaking with you. Bye-bye. Joining us from Tom's River is Mrs. Bella Beer. She's a dating coach. She's a columnist. She writes for the Yateds. Uh, she writes the Tom's River Shidduch column weekly. She's coached hundreds and hundreds of young people, boys and girls, over the last 20 years. Welcome, Mrs. Beer. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. What's the most common question you get from concerned um, daters? Uh, um, a lot of people want to know how they'll know, how they know it's the right one, how they can be sure it's the right one. Um, how do you answer of, that? How do you answer that? So my stock answer is really that you have to have a lot of bitachon, but never think about spending the rest of your life with someone. Rather think, do you want to see that person again? Because it's very hard to imagine ever spending your whole life with someone, and it's very overwhelming for most young people to think that way. So the best idea for them is, do you want to, the next, after the date, do you want to, are you looking forward to the next date? Are you looking forward to seeing them tomorrow? Will you miss them if you don't see them tomorrow? Will you feel an absence in your life if they're gone? And that kind of helps them make it a little bit of a smaller, less uh, scary decision. And I find that helps a lot of people. Um, and the rest really, besides obvious warning signs that come up, if I don't see any warning signs and I see uh, things going well, I, you know, sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. You have to trust in Hashem. Hashem is guiding you towards the right one. And a lot of young couples that get married uh, don't really know how wonderful their marriage is going to be. And sometimes, how disastrous it's going to end up being. So there's no guarantees. Okay. Can I just, I'm, I'm really supposed to interview. I'm not supposed to give opinions. But I'll tell you what my attitude is towards that. Mm -hmm. I think that people who are in the same zip code Right, as far as ideas, ideals, um, you know, hashkafasachayim, attractiveness, etc. If they want to make it work, like a lot of people could make it work. Like you sort of, you could own your marriage. It doesn't have to be something like, oh my God, it's just, it didn't work out. Like, what's the it? Did you get hit you, by you a train? Can't always. Yeah, you can't I'm sorry. Sometimes, mostly you can. Mostly you can, and and there is uh, the people that say, and I I don't disagree that people give up too fast. And like the one thing, you know, we, we, our young generation ex expects perfection. They want everything immediate. And if things are not wonderful from day one, they get frustrated. And, and there are marriages that break up that probably shouldn't have. But there are sometimes deep-rooted flaws in another person that come out after marriage that cannot be fixed. And, and with the right therapy and the right person guiding you, when, when you see that, there's a decision that has to be made. Do I want to cut my losses? And, and well, without a doubt, look, there's no doubt that there are things that could may not come out during dating, but they may not come out after a year of dating too. So I think, that, and 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 right. they may come out later, even if they're both in love with each other. So, right. so I'm just saying, the general attitude is: Does this person fit the box that is really important to me, and are they attractive? And now, well, let's let's make it work. Right. Right, that's 100% an attitude that could work. Um, but I've, I've also heard of just actually yesterday about a marriage of someone married 40 years that are now struggling because they never really had a good marriage. And now that the kids are out of the house, they just have nothing in common. She has no respect for him. I do think that could be fixed with therapy, with help, with coaching. Um, but, but here you see a, an example of someone who ideally married someone that ticked all her boxes uh, and now is not happy. So I'm not saying that that was a bad marriage and I'm not saying I'm not saying that they should have never gotten married because they have a beautiful family with a lot of children and nine o'clock but there 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 has to be a way for a couple to go through the marriage growing together and becoming more attached rather than feeling separated at the end. Right. You know the story that this couple come to a rub, he's a hundred and she's ninety eight and they say they're getting divorced. So the right. says after so many years he says, We were waiting for the children to die. Oh, that's not funny. <laughs> it's funny, but yeah. Okay. Okay, what, exactly. What red flags 
do you tell people, like when people come to you, say, wait, 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 this is not good? So I, I, I actually, weirdly enough, um, in recent days, I've broken up two dating couples, and both times it was a red flag from the girl. The girl had something wrong with her, as far as I was concerned. Um, it, it, it's hard to answer that question because there's not one specific thing, but when you go through um, a story and you hear, okay, I'll just give you a quick example. This boy and girl were dating. They dated nine times or ten times, and um, the girl started playing hot and cold, hot and cold, and she was working with a coach, and the coach didn't even have legitimate answers as to what was going on. Um, and then, and after a while, I told the girl, the boy's parents, you know, I, I just think she's playing with him. I don't think she's ever going to commit to being able to marry him, and he's getting more and more emotionally involved, and I think, you know, you have to cut it now. Um, and they did, and it was really very good at the end that they did that. Um, so that would be one warning sign. And as far as girls are concerned, I'm sure they learn in school a lot of things to look for in a boy um, that would be something that turns them off. Um, I think sometimes boys just are stupid on dates. I'm sorry to say that. Like they, they try to show bravado and so sometimes that backfires. doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be good husband material. So I do think it's important to get to know the person. And if there is an issue that bothers you, to discuss it. It's very important to have discussion about um, you see that the boy is very bossy when you go out. And, you know, find out, like, are you always this bossy? Do you always um, talk rudely to people? Are you just trying to be cool now so that I should think you're cool? Like, what's the deal here? And usually can break it down because it's not usually, sometimes it's covering, like, really bad things, but very often it's just the behavior of, of, of kids because they're kids. Well, here, here's so, a question. What, yeah. Where do you say, you know, this is really something that – it should be a stop sign, and it's not, oh, it could go away, or it's a nothing. Because I, I heard this from a, a divorce lawyer, actually. He said, every couple who comes to me, or every woman, or every man, will say that during dating, they saw it, but they just minimized it. That's, that's a, very, it's a very powerful statement. He says, every couple said they saw it beforehand, but they minimized it. I, so and I thought I'm, that I'm was very powerful. So where do you say, hey, you know, don't accept excuses, and if you see this, you could assume that it's really going to be a problem? I think disrespect. Disrespect for people, disrespect for, for, for the person that you're dating, disrespect if they speak disrespectfully about their uh, uh, rebbies or, or parents or something like that. I think disrespect shows a lot of ego, shows a lot of, um, you know, that's how they're going to be, but... You know, back to what this uh, therapist said or the divorce lawyer said, how many times do we see things that might bother us a little bit during dating and then they don't end up being an issue? So you have to look at the, the, the reverse side as well. Not just because the boy said, oh, I'm the smartest in my class and you think that's egotistical, do we say to the boy, oh, you know, come home and take to the shop and, you know, he's very egotistical, I don't want to go out with him, I'm not going to marry him. There, are, there, there is a fine line between real issues and boys are saying things and girls thinking that they're issues. And um, I think we, we have a shidduch price based on the fact that a lot of boys and girls are saying no to shidduchim for the wrong reason. They're not getting the right hadrafa, and because they're not getting the right hadrafa, they're either continuing on when they shouldn't or breaking up when they shouldn't. Okay, so let's go back. You said disrespect. There was, there was a book put out. I'm, I don't remember the name. It was, it was a big bestseller, how uh, some psychologists interviewed couples for four minutes mm 
mm-hmm. and he was able to um, he was able to predict to within a 95% accuracy whether they would remain married in five whether they would remain married in, it was either five or ten years. It was one of the big bestsellers. Was Flash? I'll I'll, I'll I'll remember. I'll fill in the crowd on the thing. Okay. And and how did he do it? He would get them in a room on the video, and he would ask questions. And he said, anybody rolling their eyes like at one or the other or acting, he said disrespect predicted to within a 95% accurate of, of the uh, viability of the marriage. It just When you said that, it, it brings that memory. Well, when, when a person is disrespectful to other people, they'll end up disrespecting their spouse. Um, when you disrespect your spouse, it's not just bad feelings. It means that your whole marriage is not equal. It means that you're no longer coming in as partners. And uh, uh, today, where most of the women work outside the home and are responsible to help uh, bring in Parnassa. Uh, they're bringing up the kids together. The husband is taking more of an active role at home. Disrespect from either side ends up meaning that the marriage is one-sided, and that can never work. What's the right number of dates? Oh, <laughs> it's funny. I just wrote about that. Um, it depends for who. You have people that go on two shows and they have a wonderful marriage. You have people that date for three years and then get divorced. Um, I don't think it's about the number of dates. I, I don't think that... Uh, first of all, from every culture, it's what's expected, should be in the realm of what's expected. And if it takes much longer than that, then obviously there's some kind of issue that has to be resolved. Um, so I, I, can't, I can't put a number on it, but definitely the couple has to feel comfortable enough to ha- discuss nearly anything um, and, and like each other and, and not see anything that's turning them off. Yeah, but that's I'm not, I can't let you get away with such an evasive answer. <laughs> if if it, we know it's from two dates to three years, like you get, can you give us a little bit more? Um, like, I, I don't know. I went out with my husband for two weeks, and uh, and we got engaged, and we're 39 years later. Baruch Hashem, we're very happy. But um, you know, again, I know you don't want to hear that. I I don't think anything after three months tells you anything. But I don't. I'm reluctant to say that because what about that couple that really, really isn't sure? But if you're still not feeling like you want to get married after seriously dating someone for three months, probably there's a reason. And I'm not talking about more modern people. I'm talking about regularly Jewish people that go on sort of dates. Um, I, I think that you get to know the person enough, you spend enough time with them, that you should, they tick off all your boxes, you're attracted to them. And again, when I say attraction, to me attraction is the whole person, you're attracted to the person. Looks are just part of that. You, you're attracted to their personality, you want to be with them, you want to spend time with them, uh, you have the same hashkafas. I definitely think two, three months is, is more than enough time. And on that topic, I'm going to say that I don't, I don't believe in long engagements. That's for sure not. But, but go slow, so, go slow. Um, what about, is, is one day too little? You know, I would say so, being that I grew up in Flatbush, uh, you know. So what, do you, so what is the purpose of, if the purpose of the dating is I know the person, can you really know a person after two dates? Not, not as far as I'm concerned. But again, a lot of couples don't really know each other until after they're married. And it's not because they didn't date long enough, but there's just a certain extent you can know someone before you're cohabitating with them and, and see them 24-7. Until then, you're not going to know a lot about them. And that's why when I started off the you know, conversation was about really having the tough in Hashem that he's leading you in the right direction, going with your heart, not always so, with your so mind. What is, so what is the right number of dates in your opinion? You said two is not, notwithstanding the show. You said three months is, 
you felt was too long. So what 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 I, what should you I be doing you know, during these dates? At which point you say, okay, I check the boxes now. I'm ready to move on. Okay, so every date has to you have to you have to move. In other words, every date has to be a growth from the date before. When you've reached the point where the dates are just the dates, and and you're not getting to know the person more, then stop dating. Then either you're now ready to get married or you're not ready to get married. Spending more time with them is not going to help you. So on the average, I'm going to tell you it's about a month. Um, and again, some people date twice a week, and some people have more time and date three times a week, and some people date once a week. So again, you know, but usually a month or two months should be enough. There are exceptions, and that's why I don't really want to put down a, a number and then get feedback from people. How could you say that when you know that if I hadn't dated my husband for another two weeks, I wouldn't have been able to marry him? You're right, and and that's why it's it's not it's it's, it's a little bit. But on the average, I would say six weeks. You know, between a month and two months, usually. We'll, and the, and, and we'll your point is it. very very powerful point where the the dates are growing. They're, they're you see some type of a momentum here, but when they hit a plateau, it's either you're engaged or you break it off. Correct. Okay. Um, Give me a, a Midas issue that for you is DOA, dead on arrival. Um, you spoke about disrespect. Give me another one. Right. So uh, that is the first one that comes to mind, but I, I don't want to be redundant. Um, is chutzpah different than this? <laughs> Not really, right? Yeah, just uh, a different word. Just a different word. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's good we only speak two languages, or we could probably say <laughs> say in the third one it's too, really, right? Um, I guess a, a little bit of arrogance. Uh, not a little bit, a lot of arrogance. Arrogance in, a, in the small amount is not terrible, but a lot of arrogance, I guess, would also be um, either a sign that... Well, arrogance is also known. someone, something a little bit disrespectful, an arrogant person is sort of disrespectful to everybody less than him, right? Well, an arrogant, right, but I think arrogance also sometimes... What about hiding rigidity? Worse things. Okay, so rigidity in what? If someone says to me, I'm going to go out with this girl, but she must come live in Honolulu with me or I'm not going out with her, that's ridiculous because everybody knows that every marriage together, the people decide a lot of things. And if you're going to be before, oh, you know what, I'll tell you, I was just involved in a shut-up. The boy wants to go to Eric Tuchel for three to five years. The girl's in school. Um, she said that she can't go to Eric Tuchel. He said he'll stay in Lakewood and she could go, you know, to, to Turo. She's in Turo. And she said, no, she's not traveling to Turo either, so she's not going to live in Lakewood either. So he, and she wants a learning boy. She wants someone who's going to learn. So I said, like, not without saying Shiva's, but, you know, this boy's a very serious learner. He's either in Turo or Lakewood. There, there's nothing else for him. And I really told the boy's parents, listen, it doesn't bother me so much that he's not going to get the Shiva he wants as much as that she's not even willing to compromise before they walk out. Before they go out on a date, she's already saying, I want a learning boy, he has to learn Tarvidas. Which is nothing wrong with Tarvidas, but that's not who this boy is. So, yeah, so that, that does bother me, and I did not uh, recommend to the parents to continue um, on with the shidduch. Um, What's another see, question you, you get a lot of? A, lo a lot of people come to me for guidance about what is a, a good reason to say yes or no to a shidduch. It's not the same answer I gave before. I said, how will they know that they should get engaged? But I get a lot of people before they even start dating. Like helping me, I help them sort into uh, resumes and I help them pick who's the right person to go out with, which I think is a very needed niche. Um, a lot of boys come from backgrounds that either were more Hasidish and so the parents are not familiar with the shidduch process or sometimes they're more modern and they're not familiar or sometimes, whatever reason, they'll come to me and ask me to help them to pick who they're going out with. 
Um, and I really, when I do that, I really try to and assess, assess the person I'm helping and see what they need. And so that it doesn't come to where you hear all these stories of people saying no to a shirach for what I would consider ridiculous reasons. Um, so I, I think that's where I help a lot of people, and, and I think that I get a lot of that question. Um, so how do you answer it? Hi, my name is David. I'm coming to you. I, I'm back from Eretz Yisrael, and I got 20 resumes. What would you tell me? Okay. So first I sit with David and meet him. Uh, for a while and find out what he's about and what he's looking for and what he needs. And then I actually take his resumes and start doing my investigation for him, like as if I was his mother. Um, and then I will recommend to either him or his family or whoever's dealing with his shidduchim. Uh, I, I have a client that will not say yes to a shidduch until I look into it. Good. So what's your criteria? So now you have your 20 or 30 exactly. resumes. So, right. So, so for each boy, it's different. So I'm David. So what would you ask me, and therefore, what would you, which of the 20 would you choose? What do you want out of life? What is your background? Where do you come from? I want to learn. I want to be a long-term learner. Okay. What kind of home do you come from? Like an average home. Very important. Know? Right. So why that's important is, for instance, I'm working with a boy now that comes from a very modern background um, who I'm very, very insistent that he gets into a family that regular from Hainas, because when it comes to Yantif, I want him to be able to sit at a table that he's comfortable at. Now, you're going to say, so why is someone from a regular from Hainas home going to take a boy who comes from a more modern background? Because he's an excellent boy, and because he has a lot to offer. And so someone will accept that, and he does get a lot of yeses from regular home. But if I hear that the the, the parents are modern Orthodox, or the parents are um, uh, divorced, um, and again, I, I, not that they're divorced, but there's like, a, a, there's not like a, a family structure. I want a family structure for him, so that's important for him. I have another boy that I'm working with that it's not as important for him. It's more important that the girl be someone who's very loving and understanding because he's gone through emotional upheaval in his life. So again, I, I can't really tell you one specific thing that's going to answer that for everyone. Everybody needs different things, and and that's why we have but different types you- of girls out there. I think you did answer it. You said that, you know, you you look before you go out, right? You look at the structure of the boy's life and the girl's life and see do they work together? Do you know? Do the two structures work together? And then if they do, then if the boy and the girl like each other, they'll be marrying into environments that work for them. But let's yeah. first start and look at the overall structure. That's pretty much what you said, right? Right. Right. Okay. And where in one shidduch you can't survive without money, and another shidduch money is not necessary. And one shidduch um, looks are very important, and another shidduch they're not as important. Other things are more important. So again, it's it's really working individually with people. Okay, what so happens? Days. You went to Beis Yaakov, right? And That's they used to tell all the all the girls that all the boys and the girls that vayava yitzchak es rifka hello vayava you get married and then you fall in love. Um, Interestingly, by Yaakov, it is the other way around. He first right. he fell in love, then he got married. Right? Which method do you ascribe to, and what do you tell people about physical attraction? So, in love is a very loose term; it means different things to different people. And the in love that you think you're in before you're married has nothing to do with the in love that you're in after you're married. And what do I mean by that? You know, when you meet a person, again, it's a lot about getting along and attraction, both physical and emotional attraction. 
you know, even a boy in yeshiva, he'll meet another boy, with one boy he clicks and he's a friend, and with another boy they just have nothing to talk about. So similarly, when you date, you know, a boy and a girl go out, they have to have a lot to talk about, they have to enjoy each other's company, they have to be on the same page in, in a lot of areas. But who they become after they're married, it's because of who they marry. So a, a boy and a girl get married to each other, they end up being one type of couple that they became together, as opposed to if that boy would have married someone else, he would end up being a different person. And when you're married to that person, you're the couple, and you have children, and you bring up the children together, and you're on the same page, and you build a family, and you build a life, and, you, and you're out in the community, and you become who you are together, you love that person so much because you're so appreciative of who they are and who they became. And sometimes you're even in awe of this person, like, I married this little smoky 23-year-old because he made me laugh, but look what a big topic I ended up marrying. Look what a tremendous person I ended up marrying. So a little bit, you think you're in love, hopefully, before you get married, but you really love, love each other much more as you grow together. And what about physical attraction? When somebody says, look, this person is amazing, you do things, so explain it. Because there are those that will disagree with you. I know. Most people disagree with me on a lot of things. It doesn't bother me. Physical attraction is important, and anybody who tells you it isn't um, is, is, is not going to end up having as happy a marriage as someone who understands the importance of it. You, you need to, your face needs to light up when your spouse walks into the room. You still, after, it doesn't matter how many years you're married, you still want to be happy when after shul your husband walks out of shul and you see him amongst all the other men and like, that's my husband. And, and, that's, and physical attraction is part of that. Mrs. Beer, this was fabulous. Thank you very much for your time. And if somebody wants to reach you, how would they? Uh, BellaBeer180 at gmail.com. BellaBeer180 at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you very much for your and time. And I'm, I'm very responsive. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Thank Mrs. Beer. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Joining us from Yerushalayim is Rabbi Zachary Greenwald. He's the Manal of Maor Seminary. Uh, over the uh, last... 20-some-odd years, he's had over 2,000 young women pass through his seminary, many of whom ask him questions about Shaduchim. Before that, he taught hundreds of boys, called them for Shaduchim, and he responds to literally thousands of calls and emails a year about Shaduchim. He's also the author of the Art Scroll book about parenting called Preparing Your Child for Success. Welcome, Rabbi Greenwald. Thank you, and shalom aleichem, So give us a primer. Whether you're a young boy or a young girl, and it could be different, what should you be looking for in a potential spouse? Hopefully somebody that uh, shares your goals, aspiration, somebody who you feel comfortable with, someone that you can talk to, um, somebody who you feel brings out the good in you, someone who you feel comfortable when you're with them. And I guess it's very important, of course, to share uh, common aspirations, goals, being on the same page. Uh, regarding what you're doing and where you're headed. Rabbi Greenwald, how important is it that there be attraction, physical attraction? You know, it's every, the Machanchem usually say, so it comes after marriage. Do you aspire to that or not? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone disagrees. The two things are not separate things. Ava is not physical attraction. Physical attraction is um, instinctive chemistry that, uh, that uh, comes from a much lower place than Ava. Ava is, is referring to love, and love cannot really happen until after people have a relationship and a depth. 
sense of sharing and responsibility and commitment. Um, physical attraction is important because that's just one of the basic elements of, of, of humanity. Um, I, I once spoke to a Moshe Shapiro, the Sal, about a young couple was going through some difficulties. And uh, in the conversation, he said, the Rambam describes that when the Torah was Mahadish, Chup and Kedushin, so the Rambam describes that before it was that, a person met a woman in Ashok, and he was attracted to her, and he wanted to have a relationship with her, so he brought her home and had a relationship. The Torah was Mahadish, that you have to go through a process in order to make that into something that's Kaddish, in order to make that something that the Jewish people are not just um, like, don't just do things instinctively, but actually bring much more into the relationship. So he said to me, the, the, obviously, the attraction is is, is an alphabet. It has to be something. Whether or not, uh, you know, girls and boys today, unfortunately, often because they were exposed to um, media and movies and um, fantasy of this extraordinary infatuation that has to happen, this what they call falling in love, which we, we, is not what we call falling in love. The Chazanish said that our that their love is our kares. When we talk about the the attraction, it's one of the elements that should be there in meeting a young a young man and woman when meeting each other. Um, they feel comfortable with each other. They share ideas. They share thoughts. They share aspirations. They should also share some commonality in their in their attraction. Let's say there isn't. Let's say they say, you know, we have a lot in common. I'm comfortable. Um, he brings out the good in me, etc. I'm not attracted. Maybe it'll come after marriage. I don't know. These are all, you know, very young people. What would you say? Um, I, it, it, it's a very hard question to answer because individuals here are, are uh, the individuality of the people we're talking about is important, and we're on a radio show where we don't really, where, where too many, where many people are listening, and I think that this is more of a question about an individual because different people react differently. There are people that are that are quickly attracted to others. The chemistry comes easy for them, and there are people that. In all relationships, it takes them time, and it takes them until they they can relax enough to feel completely and totally comfortable in order for everything to get working. It takes longer. If when I spoke to Revolve about this, he said that if attraction isn't there initially, if it's not a strong attraction, um, we have to make sure that there's there's not a distraction, meaning where they where they don't. They, it's hard for them to look at this person. This person really it turns them off. If if someone is 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 looks at the other person and doesn't see anything, doesn't see anything nice about them, then that's something that is... is We're not talking about... But I'm not talking about nice. I'm saying they could recognize the other person as a wonderful person, a big balmidus, a big... No, I'm I'm talking even about the physical part. There's even the physically there's an attraction, meaning they see they see a very nice person in front of them. They may not be extremely excited about it, but they see a nice person. They see a nice person. And they appreciate each other, and they respect each other, and they like each other, and they have good conversation. Then um, a, a higher level of attraction will probably come later. But if there's no attraction whatsoever, if a person feels this is, it's, it's dead, there's nothing between us, nothing going on, then that's something that uh, is, has to be taken into serious consideration as a problem. Now, let's say... Um there's attraction, there's sharing of goals, they're comfortable with each other, um, they bring out good, but the boy and the girl, they went out eight or nine times and they say, look, I'm not in love. That's good. <laughs> so they can, make a, they can make a decision with their brains. 
um, the, the kids that can think they fall in love are infatuated. And infatuation is not something you can build a relationship on. Again, this, the, the waiting for the stars and the, and the uh, fireworks to go off that's coming from a, from a uh, culture of, of distraction, of entertainment, of fantasy. Um, that is not, that is simply, simply chemistry working on a very high level. And it doesn't mean anything in terms of the uh, value of the relationship. If a person is attracted to the other person, and like you said, they respect them, they share goals, they're comfortable with each other, they should not wait for the explosions and for the fireworks. It may only come later, it may not come for, for laughter, they're married for some time, it doesn't make a difference. It's not necessary. Relationships are not built on infatuation. Relationships are built on commitment, and commitment is made when there's reasonable, um, there's reasonable basis for that commitment. And that is, I want to know this person better. I want to spend time with them. I like them. I enjoy my time with them. I'm comfortable. I respect. We share. That's, that's a reason to get married. Infatuation is not a reason to get married. Infatuation sometimes is a reason not to get married. Even though, interestingly, Rav Tzaria, it, it does say by Yaakov that he loved Rachel before he married her. Rachel was, he, he worked for Rachel seven years. Because he loved her, the Pasik says. No. It says, if you look carefully at the passage, it says, I don't have the passage in front of me, but I believe that the passage says that it went quickly, because of the fact that he loved her, it went quickly, but he had already made a commitment and was working for seven years. He already was committed to that relationship. He already knew that this girl, this woman, this young woman, had everything that was necessary to build, to build a home. So, and he was willing to commit. Rabbi Zechariah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Pasuk aficionado. It says, Vayahev Yaakov is Rachel, Vayoymer, Evodcha Sheva Shanim Barachel Bidcha Aktana. So the Yehava he has for Rachel precedes his, 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 his working for her. He's willing to, he's willing to make a commitment, meaning he's committed to Rachel. He already knows enough about her that he's committed to her. He's willing to work seven years for her. That's that's commitment. That's that's not just infatuation. To 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 fly the 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 superficial infatuation of what they call love, what we do not call love. The Torah never called that love. To be um, to be the attraction to try to apply that to the office of kedusha would be minimizing. Um, our 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 entire perception of who they were. Okay. Ava in Chazal, the Meiri, in the Meiri um, in Tehillim, describes what Ava is, and he says that Ava is his achtus. I hope I'm quoting it. I, it's definitely this what he said. I don't know if it's verbatim, but he says his achtus rotan haohev in rotan aneav, which means the unification of the will of the one who loves with the one he loves. What love means is that I want what you want. I want what's good for you. I care about you, and I want to take care of you. I want you to have what you, what's important to you. That's what Ava is. When Yaakov Avinu saw in Rachel everything that he needed to do, have to build the, the, the Shiftekah, he knew that with this woman I can build that. I can build that. That's what, his, that's his, what he, he understood from his meeting her. Not that Chas he just felt wildly in love with her because she was being so beautiful. When we're talking about
about Tanakh, we're talking about Kedoshe Elyon. When we talk about beauty in Tanakh, we're not talking about superficial beauty. Beauty is harmony. Beauty is when things come together, when there's many pieces that come together. The beauty of the people that Chazal talk about, that the Torah talks about is beautiful, is because their inner world and outer world are perfectly in, in, um, in, in coordination. They're in perfect harmony. They work together and they come together in absolute perfection, and that's what makes, that's what makes something beautiful. Sure, Green. Well, uh, to sum it up, attraction, yes, before marriage, but love, no, or before engagement. So w- what red flags should a, a boy or a girl be concerned about during dating? Inappropriate behavior, inappropriate speech, negativity. I- inappropriate behavior or inappropriate speech, I guess we could all imagine. Um, it was obviously bad meters, you say. Now well, you're going past things that. Are, things, things are indications of bad well, give me an example. Very, very rarely are we going to see, you know, bad meadows coming out on dates. However, um, there are times where things do come up. It comes up when somebody cuts the uh, cuts the driver off, and we see the reaction. Sometimes the reaction is very, and sometimes the reaction is something that's inappropriate. We can see anger. We can see, which is again, we're we're all assuming that on the date everybody's trying to be at their best behavior. If somebody loses their temper on a date. You can only imagine what's going to happen after they're married. So inappropriate behavior could be um, not knowing boundaries, not keeping boundaries. Define that. Define define boundaries. There are a lot of boundaries in dating, and there are social boundaries in dating. And and when again, I I'm I'm speaking. I I, I represent, or I don't know if I represent. I hope I represent. But my my students, um, the boys and girls who I've taught over the past thirty uh, something years, are Benetar and Benastara. So in in that world there are there's appropriate speech and appropriate appropriate behavior and we don't break we don't break those boundaries um, you know and, and, and I, I I don't I don't feel comfortable again in a at a radio setting to go too far into detail but I think that everybody knows and in every social structure there's there's what is considered appropriate and inappropriate. Okay, so wait, so appropriate and inappropriate behavior, I, I, I just sort of lumped into bad meters, but now you also said, which I think anger would probably fall under as well, but then you said negativity, which is really not about bad meters, it's more of like a, an attitude, so can you talk about that a little? Okay, well, attitude is, is um, a very, very big part of our lives. Um, it's the way we approach life. Um, when we see a negative attitude, then we're, we have to know that we're going to be living with negativity. When somebody speaks about his rabbeim, he speaks about his friends. Does he speak with respect? Does he speak with disrespect? Does he put people down? Or does he help? Or does he appreciate people? The way that somebody speaks about other people is a very big indication as to who you're going to be living with. You're going to be living with somebody who either sees the good or sees the bad. Someone who's putting other people down. You, you know that that's what you're going to be living with, and you just might be uh, the subject of that uh, of that kind of uh, behavior. So it's those are those are important things to just keep to notice. It's important to notice if somebody is flexible or rigid. It is difficult to live with rigidity. Um, there are there are those who are experts in the field for tens of years with tens of thousands of couples under their uh, their um, in their history, who have said that rigidity and flexibility is a greater and more important factor in keeping a marriage 
in in place than communication. It's more important. Not that communication is not important. Communication is obviously very important. But someone who is flexible has a better chance of staying in a relationship. People who are rigid are very difficult to live with. So if you see rigidity, if you see a lack of flexibility, that just might be something you want to be careful of. Um, Without stinginess, how would you how would you who would you put that on your in your experience as a, a reason for you know cause of heartbreak? It's in marriages, etc. No, the the problem with with the, with the word like stingy is, and I think it's 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 very dependent on levels. Meaning, there are people who who are careful with their money, and then there are people who are stingy. There's there's a difference, and I don't want that to be confusing. There are people who brought up frugal, meaning they're careful how they spend their money. They're very they're they're very um, no, they're concerned about the future. They Saving money is an important value to them. That doesn't mean stingy. Stingy is when a person can't give of themselves. Not only can't they give of their money or their property, they can't give of themselves. And that's something that is, is to be concerned about. And I, I'm afraid to say, you know, that if somebody doesn't buy a more expensive drink, so that means they're, they're stingy. That could just mean they're careful with, with their money. And, and some people have to be careful with their money. If somebody doesn't, Offered to my age. Right? Just last week's parsha, he went back for the pachin ketanim. That's right, the pachin ketanim. So again, today it's it's a lot to do with culture. It's a lot to do with how people are raised, and um, and I, I I would I don't want to to confuse the two values. There's frugal, there's careful with money, and then there's stingy. What about good-hearted? How important is that? <laughs> um, I, I would think that that's very, very important. Wouldn't you? Yeah, but here's so here's my question. I'm I'm a young girl. I'm I'm 20 years old, or I'm a young boy. I'm whatever my age is. And I call you up and I say, you know, I'm a green world. I went out with a boy, girl, slash in the box. He's very good-hearted. She's very good-hearted. But when somebody cut him or her off, they got all upset. Like, how do we weigh good-hearted versus, you know? Stinginess, communicates well, flexible, but has anger. It's like it's such a challenge. Like, how do you weigh all these different things one against? Because to find the person who's perfectly flexible, never has anger, good communicator, good-hearted, no stint. Yeah, at a certain point, nobody's checking all the boxes. How do you weigh one against the other? Okay, so I I think that that there are are things that are that are general things that are difficult to live with, and then there are the middos are of course an entire spectrum of character traits. Now we all have our midos. I, I I often say that when we say when we talk about normal, when anyone says, "Yeah, but he's normal," what normal usually means is he's like me, because I always most people consider themselves to be normal. That's just the the nature again, the nature of man, is that a person things that come naturally to him are things that he considers um, normal. So let's say I have a bad temper, but I'm very generous. So when I see someone who who gets angry, I understand that. I say, okay, that's normal. Anger is not good, but it's normal. But stinginess, that's crazy. How could someone be stingy? And if I'm the opposite, if I'm if I'm if I'm very stingy, but I have a I have a, I'm very calm and I never get upset. So I say, okay, you know, some people are stingy. It's it's not it's not the best me that, but it's normal. And uh, but but he gets angry. Look at his temper. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Because we're all made up differently. So there are things that get to your that, that get to you and things that don't, don't get to you. There are people I look at and I say, I don't understand how this person is married to this to this woman. I, I can't even imagine being in the room with them for an hour. And and they're 
they're madly together and they want to be together and they enjoy each other's company, we're all made very differently and we can't define things in exact numbers and percentages and, and, and this meet against that. You're, if you feel comfortable with the person that you're with and the things that you see don't get, don't get you girt, they don't get you angry, they don't get you upset, they don't get you scared, they don't, they're, they're not, they, you don't see them as things that are a problem. So there are things that are a problem for everybody, rigidity. Um, and and uh, and serious anger issues. Nobody can live with that, and it's very hard to live with that. We all have to live with that sometimes when that comes our way. But that's not something almost anyone would choose. In terms of the, all the other meetos, it's really a question of every person what they feel, what they're taken by, and what they're comfortable with. So it's very hard to say, oh yeah, you're looking for the person with the perfect meetos. You're looking for the person whose meetos don't conflict with yours, that don't have a problem with yours. When I when I when I when I see a Balgaiva I could be very, very just hurt to be in his presence because I'm a big Balgaiva and there's a conflict. And somebody else laughs at it and doesn't see it as an, as, a, as a problem at all because in their in, in their easygoing, unflappable personality they just smile at that and they think, you know, it's it's cute. I I'm not going to tell somebody what to feel about Amita. Okay, so Rabbi Greenwald again I want to sum it up simplistically. There are I don't know, there's many Midas, 19 different Midas, which most of say if you do, you're saying the, the two that to you stand out as sort of hard stop sign is rigidity and real anger. And on the rest of them, you sort of have to negotiate Milus versus Sosrinus. Would that be a fair statement? Well, Milus versus Sosrinus, the things that bother you, the things that don't. If it's bothering you, don't let it go. Don't let it go just because you're not getting a perfect deal. If someone has a mita that rubs you the wrong way, and that you're going to lose respect because of that mita, it doesn't. It doesn't make a difference if it's on my list or not. It makes a difference if it's on your list. You have but, to. But but rigidity and anger should bother everyone. That's what that's what's coming across. Again, someone who has someone who has real anger issues, or somebody who's rigid, very rigid, are those the things that are going to make any any marriage very challenging? Yes. Rabbi Greenwald, what do you say when a young person says to me? I'm just afraid to move ahead. Like maybe I'm settling. Maybe there's somebody else better out there. I don't know if it's smart to quote my wife on this, but when I when I dated my wife over uh, 40 years ago, I, um, we uh, when we were moving forward and it was moving forward quickly, um, I said to her, I'm not I'm not sure how how you're how you're you want to move forward. You've never spoken to another boy in your life. Like how do you know that this is this is okay? And she said to me, Well. I like what I see. If I'm going to wait for something else, maybe two is better than three. Maybe five is better than two. Maybe a hundred is better than five. I may never. I mean, I'm never going to get married because I'm always thinking maybe there's something better. If I'm comfortable with what I see and I and, and I respect what I see and I'm, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Then I, I'm not going to start fantasizing that maybe there's something better somewhere else. It's not a healthy way to live. And uh, people who live that way. Don't live healthy with anything. They don't. They can't make a decision which pair of pants to wear and which car to buy and which house to buy. And they're always thinking, well, maybe I should have done something else and second guessing themselves. If you're comfortable and you respect and you want to share and want to be with this person, then it's a very unhealthy thing to think maybe there's something better. What do I tell people who come to me and say that I'm worried about that? Well, you know, you can. You're allowed to follow your uh, your your peers. But if you follow your fears, you'll be living with them forever. Sometimes young people today need need coaching. There are very good dating coaches. Sometimes they need professional help.
not be. Okay. You're saying, Rabbi Greenwald, if I could sum it up, your attitude is, you have a suit, you go to the store, you look at a few, you like it. Well, maybe there's something better in another store. Maybe there's something better. It's like, you like it, it fits, you move on. Yes. I don't want to simplify it to a suit, but yes, it's, it's similar. It's similar, but not equal, yes. Okay, another question. Um, what's a mental health issue to be concerned about and what's, quote-unquote, run-of-the-mill? And when I say run-of-the-mill, you know, psychology in the United States is an exploding field. So they've given a name to almost everything. Like a person who's, who's, who's a little nervous now has uh, anxiety. Uh, somebody who used to get, you know, scared has panic attacks. It's, so where do you say, look, everybody has, everybody has mental health issues. If somebody's really normal, they wouldn't be functional. They'd just be too boring. Where do we say... <laughs> Say, who doesn't, you know, you know, today they would say he has panic attacks, right? I mean, it's like after everything, there's a name. Where do you say, look, yeah, anxiety could be normal, panic could be normal. Where do you say, hey, I, this is something as somebody dating you should be concerned about? Like, is, is everybody taking a medication have an issue? Or, you know, some people take antacid and some people take a little bit for uh, ADD or somebody, there's a medicine today for everything. Where do you say, so you tell your girls, this is something you should be concerned about and this is sort of, it's pretty run of the mill. Mental health is an extremely sensitive issue. There are people that suffer greatly. And, and we have to be very, very careful when we speak about mental health, and we can, we can never speak about it in a nonchalant manner. It is true that today, like you said, um, everybody has a label. I think that the number one thing we have to see is, is this person functional? Is whatever that issue is, is that something that is getting in their way of everyday life? Does it interfere with their, their responsibilities? Does it interfere with their goals? Is it something that that, that takes them out of um, out of uh, operation? They, 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 they cannot function as a result. Those are things we need to be more concerned about. Um, if a person is a little bit anxious, like you said, some people are a little anxious. Some people are a little are, are ADD, and that's you know that that's just the way Hashem made different people. And yes, today, as soon as somebody gets a little anxious, because I could tell you, Rabbi, Rabbi Greenwald, I could tell you that I'm an anxious person. I worry a lot. I work on very high energy and stress, and I'm sure that there are 62 different labels they could put to me. Right, and I, and, I'm, and I am ADD for sure, with no questions, and uh, I, I joke about it with my students all the time. Um, when someone asks a question off off topic, and then I I don't even know where I was. Um, yeah, I, we're, we all everyone has some things that are that could get in the way. Also, those same things often give us the energy and give us the 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 power to do things. So you know, if you, when you speak about you know and uh, your your stress or your what some people might call anxiety, you actually that stress moves you forward. That stress gets you move, gets you going. And with that, you do so much more. So, again, people who are functional are functional. Someone who is dysfunctional as a result of the mental health issue is something you need to be concerned with. I don't think that we can make blanket statements that mental health is something that you should not get married to, someone who has a mental health issue. I think that, again, every single situation has to be evaluated.
before you get involved with somebody who is who's who has a mental health situation that requires uh, that requires medication. Then speak to the speak to the professional who who prescribed the medication. I know people who are on such low doses of medication that it simply brings them to a place of balance. They can take it for years and years. There are women that can that can have become pregnant and have children with low doses of, 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 of certain medications. It doesn't it doesn't mean that somebody is going to be disrupted in their life. But it requires exploration. If anything requires exploration. So Rabbi Greenwald, sorry Greenwald, would you would you agree again to my simplification of what you're saying? But just to you know sum it up. Mental health problems have become so so much wider because of you know current diagnosis. Everything's a so it's not like oh it's a mental health issue. It's not. It's a conversation. And there are many people who are functional their entire lives, even though they could be nervous, even though they could have anxiety, even though they could have moods, right? But would you also agree that it is something that should be absolutely a discussion before an engagement? Absolutely. Not only a discussion, a discussion with exploration. Rabbi Greenwald, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Cult. Somebody took his lulav on Yom Rishon Shal Sukkot, and he forgot to make a Shechiyano. Second day of Sukkot, he can't make a Shechiyano anymore. It's not new. It's like he ate a fruit, a new fruit, a prichad, I should eat it. You say, oh, yeah, I forgot to make a Shechiyano yesterday. You can't make today. It's just not new anymore. Say, Bazai, what does the Prima Godim do with the Shulchan Aruch that says, in Tafresh Vav, that if somebody's madlik Yom Rishon of Hanukkah, and if he gets a Shechiyano, he can make a Shechiyano the next night, or the next night, or the next night. So you see, it's not like a prichad, a mitzvah. So why don't you say, just like writing the Menorah, you can make it every day of Hanukkah. The same thing, you should be able to make on Lulav, all the rest of the days of Sukkot, so the it's Akasha and the Prima Godim. That was uh, the first Shiloh. So we had an, uh, many Tarot Semek. Some people said Hanukkah is different because every day there's a new Hesaf on the Ness. Every day it was a Chiddush that that candle burns. So you can make the Shechianu for that night. So if you believe that every night is a new mitzvah, and that's why if you forgot you can make a Shechianu, why don't you say the same thing? That even if you said a Shechianu the first night, make a Shechianu on the second night because the second night is a new Chiddush, a new, like a new Yom Tif, a new, a new Ness. Like Lamashal, you say by uh, even Sukkot, you say the Shemini Atzeres is Regal every. So if it's enough to say you should make a Shechianu if you forgot the first night. Say it's enough to make a Shechianu if you said it the first night. So we really didn't like this uh, Teretz. Another Teretz that some people said is they said uh, that Lulav is only Drabun on the rest of the days. Whereas here, in other words, the first night, day it's a Daraisa. So the second day, since it's only Drabunan, you can't make a Shechianu. But here, every day it's a Drabunan, then you can. I mean, I don't get it. The whole Shechianu is on Drabunans too. Right. For example, here you make a Shechianu on this Drabanan. Or another problem with this is, is that, let's say the first day of Yom Tif was Shabbos. Then the second day of Lulav, you would make a Shechianu, even though it's a Drabanan. So you see, the fact that it's a Drabanan doesn't take away the din that you should make a Shechianu. So the terrorist that I believed is right, and many of the listeners actually said this, is that the Me'iri in Shabbos says that the Shechianu of Hanukkah is a Shechianu on the Yom. Just like you make on the yoyim of, you know, you make on the yoyim of, uh, of, of Sukkis, you make on Pesach, it's on the yoyim. So the Miri Lamashal says, you make a Shechianu even if you don't see the Neiris. So we will koveya the bracha on the Neiris. And the, shara, the, bir, the bir Halacha brings it in Tafresh Sadiq Beis. We will koveya yataka on the Neiris, but the Etzim, it's a mitzvah on the yoyim. 
So the Marshal Yusida Magan Avram and Tafayin Gimel Kofalov says that Taka, if you didn't make a Shech Yonu, let's say on Pesach the first night, you'd make it all the days of Pesach. Because the Shechi Enes Gemara in uh, Erevin and Dafmem, a Shechi Yanu on the Yom, there's two, so there's two dinim in Shechi Yanu. There's one din Shechi Yanu that's on the Cheftzah Shal Mitzvah or Prichadash, where it's the Chiddush Shabbai. The one that's on the Yom is not on the Chiddush Shabbai, but it's on the fact Shechi Yanu Vikimanu Vigiyanu Lazman is that the lept that we reached it. So it's really Chalak, the two Shechi Yanus. Shechi Yanu on the Yom, it's clear, Sayin the Gemara, and I'm saying in the Magan of Ram, you can do it all Yamtif. Shechi Yanu on the Mitzvah is like a Prichadash, only on Mitzvah, the Chiddush here, Prima Gadam holds that Chanukah, it's on the Yom, when it's, and therefore you could do it all the days. But Lulav is just on the Mitzvah, it's on the Mitzvah, it expires just like a Prichadash. Came nearly uh, to answer riddle one. Riddle number two is uh, we asked that the Shulchan Aruch and Tafrei Shayin Aleph says that somebody has a house that's on two different streets, he has to light on, on each side, the main entrance, because that's really where the Ikadin is, and then he also has to light on the other side because uh, shad. He said, I'll be chayshid, that he, he didn't light. But he says, but the Shulchan says, you only make a bracha on the, the main lighting that you do. The subsequent lighting that you do shad, you don't make a bracha. Why? Because you don't make a bracha on something that's mipneach shad. So the question we asked is that the Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea and Yud Gimel Sivbei says that if by a, by a ben pekua, somebody shechts a behem and they find a behem inside of it, a baby, so the Allah is, midaraisa doesn't eat shechita. Midrabanan and eat shechita, again, mipneach shad. And Rabbi Kivega brings from the Rajpa and you make a bracha. So we asked, over here, mipneach shad, you make a bracha. By Chanukah, mipneach shad, you don't make a bracha. What's the difference? That was riddle number two. So we had a bunch of different terats. Like some people said, because by Hanukkah you already made one time a bracha on the uh, the first door, so you don't need to make a bracha shnei pa'amim because the, the first bracha really patted this. So it would be if, if there was a hefsik between them. You made a bracha on the first entrance, and you you had latkes, you played some dreidel, and an hour or two later you go out to light the second one. Would you make a bracha on the second one? Of Adonat. So you see that it's not that the first bracha patted the second hadlaka. I thought the answer is, I didn't, and to my knowledge, none of the, um, the hundred plus people said it, but I think this is a correct answer, is that there's two different types of chshad. By Hanukkah, some, you lit it, and now you're coming to do like the second one of Nechshad, which you don't have to do, and you were yay to the mitzvah. Somebody's going to say, have like a, you know, a crooked nose, and he's going to say, oh, Mestama, this guy didn't do it. So for the, all these, you know, snoopy people, you make it, it's a marasayin, whatever, Nechshad. I'm not lighting Hanukkah, Manaris. I'm just lighting to keep Mr. Long Nose out, right? That's Nechshad, it's marasayin. There's no, there's no, there's no bracha here. By Ben Pakua, there's a different problem. Somebody has a behema that it was, uh, it's a Ben Pakua. And he says to his, uh, his farmhand, go chop this behema's off, head off. Or he tells his son, go kill it and eat it. So the chshad is not that somebody who doesn't know is going to think you're an avarian. The chshad is a different chshad. The chshad is here is the person who's killing it is going to think that you don't need shchita. He's going to say, oh, maybe the rules changed. He's a rabbi. He said, I should, maybe you don't need shchita. Maybe because it's a small animal, you don't need shchita. So the chshad is that the person himself is going to come to a toyas, not out of suspicion, he's actually going to learn from it, and why I'd say, oh, I see behemoths, don't eat shchita. So on chshad the bracha is that what? We don't want the person to come, the person who's, who's killing it to say, oh, you don't eat shchita. We want him to understand everything needs shchita. So we will mechaiv it in shchita, even though it doesn't require shchita, we will mechaiv it in shchita, so the, the person should not come to make such a toyas. 
right? On such a thing, it's a bracha, because it's, this is already the chazal wa mechaev of shechita. In the other case, you did the mitzvah already. There's no reason for you to be doing it. Elamai, it's just bibnei marasayin. For that you don't. Here, the person himself is going to come to think, oh, I take it on need a shchita. So you don't shchita. Such a shat take needs a bracha. I believe this is the uh, the, the right answer. The third question we ask is that the Ramah Paskins, that if somebody forgot Alanisim Berchas Hamazain, by when it comes to the Harachamans, he says, Harachaman, Yasla, Alanisim, Kamaisha, Sisla, he said, you know, be a man, Bismanaza. So we ask, this is the only tefillah that we ask for Nisim in all of, all of tefillah. So the question is, the Gemara in Berchas and Samach says, if somebody's wife was pregnant and he says he rots in that the child should be a zachar. It's a tefillah shav. It's too late. It is what it is. In fact, the Gemara, I by Dina, you see, she was, uh, that lay was mavakish, that Dina should turn into, was a, was a boy, turn into a girl. So the Gemara says, ain maskirim maisa nisim. No, we don't talk about nisim. We talk about, tefillah is not about nisim. So the question is, how come over here, how could have they been misakin a bracha for nisim, right? The harachaman, who yasalon nisim. So there were a lot of terutzim here. Some people brought from the great tfuashayr, that uh, the tfuashayr, that a yachid should have been mispal on, for a ness, that for himself should be a ness, like there's, for me, my child, my wife should have a ben zacher. But for the rabbim, you can be mispal for a ness. I don't know, like why, mehechatesa. I would ask the Tvoshar. And on top of that, we don't see any place in all of Tfilos that we'd have in for a Rabbim, for a Ness. Then he says another thing, a Ness Kedera Chateva, that you can't be Mispal for, but a Ness that's not Kedera Chateva, uh, you can't be Mispal for. Okay, that could be. I don't know. You need a Raya for that, but it could be. Some people said that it's going on Yemais HaMashiach, where it says, Kemetes Chemeret Mitzrayim Arenu Neflois. I mean, Bapashis, when you say, Racham Yasalon Nisim, it's not talking about Yemais HaMashiach is talking about, like now, doesn't seem at all that it's some Yemais HaMashiach, you know. Some people said it's not a Bakasha, but it's a Haidah. That they will kaveit you may halva I don't know, the Russian certainly seems like a, 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 a whatchamakal, like a Ness. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, look, some of these Terutzim, I mean, the Tuashar, you can't, he was a good, another God Almighty, you can't say, but none of these Terutzim ring. I, so I won't tell you what I would answer for this. What are you saying, Allah Nisim? Lecha asisa chua gedayla ufurkan kahayoyim hazeh. What does that mean? Chua gedayla, a great salvation, ufurka and a salvation, and a purkan is like a, a redemption, kahayoyim hazeh. That's what we say in, in, in Alanisim. It seems that when it comes to Hanukkah, when we say kahayoyim hazeh, that the ness of Hanukkah somehow, somewhere, 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 ends up every year. Lecha asisa chua gedayla ufurkan that is the tefillah So even though all the time the Allah is ein mispal in Anisim, it seems that Hanukkah from the from the uh, Alanisim is an exception. So when we say Harachaman hu Anunisim, he we're just really transposing the the language that it is in the Alanisim itself. Right, and maybe you could say, you know, the Ness of the Menorah, that Torah survived, and it certainly has, right? Thousands of years later here in America, Baruch Hashem, you know, the biggest coil in the world. So whatever the light of Torah, whatever that was, the light of the Menorah was supposed to bring to the world, it's Kayyemaza. And when we say, we're just really mimicking, we're miming the, uh, the bracha that, of, that we say in Alanisim, and I believe that this is the right answer. So it seems that that rule of, you know, that does, is, does not relate to the Ness of Hanukkah. What was the fourth 
riddle? Oh, the fourth riddle's a hard one. We asked that the Shulchan Aruch in Tafri Shayin Aleph says, that Yamadlik near Hanukkah Bebeis HaKesas, Mishun Persumenisa, and he brings it, and the Beis Yosef, who's the, the you know, the, the Mechaba, brings it from a Rivash, right? So we said, look, it's a Pella. The Mechaba himself, as every Sephardi knows, right? Paskins like the Rambam, the Ein Muvarchen Al Hal Doresh Chaydish, but Sibur Mishim the Havi Minig. In other words, we don't make the Shita of the Sephardim is like the Mechaba, that we don't make Bracha on a minig. So by halal, we don't make a bracha on a minig. How could you say that halal is the makoyer for making a bracha in the basic, for the minig of making a bracha in the basic knesses? It's a, it's a pella steer in the machaba. Right? That was the question that we asked. And over here, we got a bunch of answers. I'll read some of them to you. Some say no, the main tam is because of persuminisa. So since it's because of Persuminis, it's not a minig, but it's, you know, Persuminis is what all Hanukkah is about. But L'chayret, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because the Bismana is there. There are no Urchem in the Shul, right? So so even if it's Persuminis, it's a minig of Persuminis. The Persuminis that is a Chiyav is Neri Shubesai, not a light uh, over there. So even if it's Persuminisa, it's only going to remain a minig if it doesn't have a Takana on somebody who actually sleeps in the Shul, which they don't do today. So Rav Shlomo Zalman Oyabach says what is what would be the closest to a correct reason. He says that this, that you don't make a brach on hal because it's a minig, is because it's a minig, and it's a new thing, a new minig, and we don't make a brach on it. But he says the minig of the Hanukkah candles in shul, it's not a new minig. We made it in the house. Then Urchim slept in the shul. So we said, because of that, we sh- we sort of took the hadlaka from our house, and we brought it to wherever Urchim were. And even when the Urchim weren't anymore, it's a minig, so it's sort of, it's an extension of an existing halacha, rather than a minig of Rosh which is just brand new, that has no makar. So it's a minig that's an extension of a, re, of, a, of, a, of a bracha, of an existing bracha, over there you would make a bracha. But a minig that is just, you know, brand new one, they made up one, like by Hanukkah, that already, by, by, by Rosh Chodesh over there, you don't make it. This is the best of the Terutzim. I mean, the problem with it is, the Rivash brings the Mekoyer and the Beis Yosef from Rosh Chodesh. I mean, isn't there a rule, Dai Lovim and Adin Lies Kenidin? If Rosh Chodesh, where we bring it from, we don't hold of it, what would be the Makoyer to say that a minig that is an extension of something, you do make a bracha on? You can't use Rosh Chodesh as the Makoyer for that. So the Rivash brings the Makoyer Rosh Chodesh. The Beis Yosef doesn't hold to that because he holds Rosh Chodesh like the Ramam you don't make. So, he, so at the best, he would be making up a new halacha that when there is a Makoyer, then you can extend it with a minig. But, but you don't have the Raya from Rosh Chodesh anymore. So it's just a, a halacha that has no Makoyer according to the Beis Yosef. So even after the Beis Yosef, I think the halacha, the, the Shverakite has been Makoyer Mayoyim. The last one we asked on the Taz, that the Taz famously says it's in a city where they stole the shoifer and they went, sent somebody to look for a shoifer, etc. Rosh Hashanah was Thursday and Friday. And Friday, right before, you know, a half an hour before, they decided they're going to make Shabbos early. And after they made Shabbos, a guy comes running in, I found the shoifer, I got another shoifer. But they were Makabal Shabbos already. Taz says, even though you're Makabal Shabbos, you could still blow shoifer, because it's in effect a Kabbalah sh- sh- Shabbos betoyas, because if you would have known, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't make a Kabbalah Shabbos mafkia mitzvah. Okay, and therefore you can blow shoifer after Kabbalah Shabbos. Question is that the Taz by us in Hilchas Hanukkah, which would be Tafrei Shayin Tess, if somebody lit Shabbos candles and he says, oh my goodness, we didn't light Hanukkah candles yet. What's the luck? He says, sorry, you, 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 don't, you don't light anymore. You were Makabal Shabbos. All right, so the question is, why don't you say the same thing? It was a Kabbalah Shabbos betoyas, and therefore you have to, uh, you, you can make the brachas on the menorah and then relight the candles.
bunch of Purushim. So some people said over the Shai Lumeshev says that you could be Mechalik from a Maisa Hadlaka near Shabbos, which is a strong Hadlaka from a Hadlaka that's Al Yudei Tefillah. There's, to my knowledge, I don't know of, a, 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 you would need a Raya for this, I don't know of a Makar to such a din. Some say it's a Tchilik if it's a Kabbalah of a Yachid, which is yes a Kabbalah, whereas a Kabbalah of a Kol. I don't know what the Svarah would be for that. Some say by Shoifer, the mitzvah was Chal on Friday. Oh, this is, I saw this for, for a few people answer this. By the Adlakas Neris, can't be Mafkia that mitzvah. By Hanukkah, however, the mitzvah is only Chal on Shabbos. The lighting on Friday is merely a Heksha mitzvah to fulfill the mitzvah on Shabbos. Since the mitzvah has not been Chal, the Adlakas Neris is a valid Kabbalah Shabbos. I don't know, this is also Chayra Shvera Teretz. Some say, by the way, that by Shoifer, blowing Shoifer on Shabbos, even if you're wrong, it's only a Drabanan. Whereas lighting a candle on Shabbos is really problematic. That could be a good Teretz. The Taz would not have been Mekel, where it's a Shafik Darais. Here it's just a Shafik Drabanan. But I'll tell you, I was speaking to Ramati Yafin, Rashiva of Beis Yosef, and he said a very Chikava Teretz. His Teretz was, and I think this could be also a right Teretz, this or the Drabanan. He said, he said, look, the Tzibur that the Shaifer was stolen. They, they were hoping somebody would find them a Shaifer. They sent around somebody, it says, to find the Shaifer. And the guy came running and says, oh, if we would have known, we, we, we were waiting, waiting. We thought if they would have known, Avada, they wouldn't have been Makabal Shabbos. Here by Chanukah the guy wasn't waiting for anything. The guy forgot. And he went ahead, he was Madlik. And then he remembered that he missed, he missed uh, Hadlakas Neris of Chanukah. So over there you say, look, we were waiting. If we would have known, we wouldn't have done it, etc., etc. But over here, it's Tama Shikha. So there would be and such a thing. You can, that's the Lashon of the Taz. He says, a person wouldn't be makabal to be mafkia something. He means because you, you really wanted it to happen. But over here, you didn't really want anything to happen. You thought you were doing the right thing by lighting the Shabbos candles. That's the tarots I heard from Amati Yafin. Very nice tarots, and it could be. We would like to thank all of you. Some, like my biggest compliment I got here. One or two people, maybe a few people said, you know, because of these riddles, he says, I learned through all of Hilchas Chanukah, which is really the purpose of this program, to get everybody tumbling and thinking. And I hope you you enjoyed them and uh you know shua ufurkan what do you say kayoim hazeh that the, the the light of Hanukkah, the light of 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 of, of the kayoim hazeh how we have conquered the misyavnim and we we really conquered the, the tumah of the gullus and the kayachatoyra shown through should last with us an entire year